Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a crime writer unravels the true story of Watergate. Not surprisingly, it was far more than a third-rate burglary gone wrong. Supposing that, once again, for the sake of argument, that Dean did want the burglars to go in the first time, more than likely it would have been to collect sexual information himself. That's a tried-and-true way of advancing oneself in Washington politics anyway, always has been. This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, this is no time to be dealing with amateurs. You need to bring in the professionals. Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. They utilize the latest scientific technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Call them at this new number, 631 5-5-2-5-8-3-5. That's 631-552-5835. Email paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Crime writer Phil Stanford is standing by with a very different version of Watergate. Before we get to that, just a reminder, get on up to strangeplanet.ca, that's my website, and register. It's fast and easy, and once you've registered, you'll receive my monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, for free, and you'll qualify for the monthly draw for Strange Planet gear. Again, register at my website, strangeplanet.ca, and I'll be hosting Coast to Coast AM this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, November 9th and 10th, and then again Friday, November 29th. Hope you can listen in. Go to Coast to Coast AM for more info and to find an affiliate station near you that carries the program. Ex-stripper Heidi Ricken was working for the mob in Washington, D.C. White House call girl tells how a call girl operation she was running at the time led to the Watergate break-in, which brought down President Richard Nixon in 1974. Needless to say, this is not part of the usual Watergate story that's come down to us over the decades. It's also only fair to point out that this version of the story might be dismissed out of hand, as being dangerous revisionist history. If you're not careful, you might end up being called a conspiracy theorist. You can also be called crazy, which is what happened to a young lawyer named Philip Bailey, one of the principal witnesses to this ignored bit of American history. When he was foolish enough to blow the whistle on Ricken and her call girl ring, he was locked up at St. Elizabeth's, the District of Columbia's mental hospital in the ward for the criminally insane. 
For more than 45 years, we've only heard the Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein perspective on Watergate. But now we've got Heidi's Little Black Book. Here to tell us about the real Watergate story is the author of White House Call Girl, Phil Stanford, who's a true crime writer with a special interest in political corruption. His work has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, the Washington Post Magazine, the Washington, the Washingtonian, rather, Rolling Stone, Columbia Journalism Review. He's worked as a magazine editor and a licensed private investigator and was a columnist for the Oregonian and the Portland Tribune. His latest book, as I say, is entitled White House Call Girl, The Real Watergate Story. Phil Stanford, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, great to be here. Uh, for those... Uh, listening in tonight, who maybe like myself were very young during the Watergate break-in, mm-hmm. uh, or weren't around at all, just give us a, a, a brief timeline of what went down in June of 1972 in the early hours. Well, um, yeah, it, it is uh, necessary to acquaint people uh, once again uh, with this. <laughs> what was really the biggest political uh, scandal in, in, in uh, the last uh, 40 years, anyway, in, in U.S. Uh, history. The, uh, and it's, it all started because five, five burglars who had, uh, who it was quickly discovered had ties to the White House, uh, were found about uh, 2.30 in the morning uh, in the uh, headquarters of the Democratic National Committee in the Watergate. Uh, everything after that, of course, was called Watergate. This Watergate, that, and um, the uh, it took about a, a, a day to, uh, to track the burglars back to the White House, and then for the next two uh, uh, two years, seventy two and seventy three, the whole story started unfolding, and, and the entire nation was uh, enthralled. I guess you'd say. Uh, uh, there was prosecution, there were Watergate hearings, Senate Watergate hearings in 1973. This is the 40th anniversary of those hearings, and a lot of uh, documentaries are being... Uh, Woodward and, and uh, Redford have, have revisited uh, all the president's men with the documentary, uh, and uh, we, are, we are coming out on, on the 40th anniversary of that, too. But it was a, a, a huge political scandal... Uh, and I would say, you know, greatly misunderstood at the time. And at the time, uh, it was dismissed, I guess, by the uh, the White House press secretary as being a third-rate burglary. Uh, so, again, the Watergate Hotel housed the Democratic National Convention or National Committee um, uh, headquarters, and uh, Nixon was in the midst of a re-election uh, campaign. So, right. what uh, what? I guess was the official version of, of why uh, Frank Sturgis and James McCord and, and Bernard Barker and, and uh, Martinez and Gonzalez, uh, who, who had you know ties obviously to the Cuban community and the Bay of Pigs and the CIA. What what were they after? Why did they break into the DNC? Okay, well the conventional explanation uh, that comes to us from the Senate Watergate Committee uh, is, is that they were there. To get uh, to do some political spying on the Democrats, uh, specifically on Larry O'Brien, who was chairman of the Democratic National Committee and had offices, uh, an office uh, in the in the DN uh, in the DNC. Uh, the fact is, though, when the burglars were uh, 
apprehended. They were nowhere close to Larry O'Brien's office. Uh, they were out in the, in the larger area. Their photo, uh, photographic equipment was set up on a uh, filing cabinet or a desk that belonged to one of the secretaries. Uh, and when the arresting officer grabbed one of the burglars, uh, Martinez, uh, or, or, or uh, told him to put their hands up the ball, uh, Martinez reached it, uh, you know, having assumed the position, you know, uh, feet spread out, hands against the wall, tried to reach something out of his coat pocket. And, and when he did that, of course, uh, one of the, uh, the cops thought he might be going for a gun. He wrestled him to the ground. And what he found was that Martinez had a key attached to a little notebook. And, and, and as the FBI found, uh, discovered in the next uh, few days, that key belonged to the desk of that secretary. Now, that, that's significant, uh, and, uh, very significant, and, but completely overlooked in almost all the accounts uh, of Watergate to this time. And, and as, as Jim Hogan said uh, in his book, he, he was the one who who's, uh, started this in, in a, a book, Secret Agenda, in 1984. It's the key to Watergate, because that, what, what the, according to the information we have, according to the information that I, I've, I've developed much farther than anyone, I, I think, than, than before in, in White House Call Girl, there's every reason to believe that that phone, that desk, uh, uh, belonged to a woman who was making connections with the Call Girl operation about two blocks down uh, Virginia Avenue in the Columbia Plaza. And that's where... Uh, that's where people just don't want to go in this country. That's where the uh, conventional media is scared to tread. Phil Stanford is with us, the author of White House Call Girl, The Real Watergate Story. Let's talk a little bit about this this uh, prostitution ring, a uh, call girl ring, if you will, in D.C., mm-hmm. uh, and, and spend a few moments discussing who this Heidi, is it Riken? Riken, yes. Who was Heidi Riken? Heidi Riken... Uh, was a ex uh, stripper, um, ex nude model, ex stripper, uh, who uh, tried to get in the, uh, the business about 1960, uh, and it was quickly discovered she wasn't much of a, uh, a dancer. So uh, the mob uh, people she associated with uh, put her to work, and, and for the next uh, decade or so, and, and beyond that, uh, because that takes us through Watergate. She she was the mob's girl. She was uh, she carried money for them. She they used her to meet uh, the gamblers. Used her to uh, to get inside information on professional football players. She'd do that by getting close to them, and she'd be able to report on injuries or uh, problems they had that might affect betting. Or uh, who knows? Because the 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 gamblers were uh, interested occasionally in, in 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 fixing games. What she what she might have had to do there. But she the mob used her to meet people. She was close to uh, the top guy in the D.C. mob named Joe Nesline. Uh, Nesline is uh, a a very uh, heavy-duty character with with ties to uh, mobsters like Maya Lansky, Uh, uh, to Jimmy Hoffa, as it turned out. Frank Costello? Uh, I'm not sure. I I, I think I've I've, uh, seen that connection also. He was... Uh, he, he, he was no uh, small-timer. He ran the numbers uh, in, in Washington, D.C. He had connections to the top guy in Louisville. Uh, Heidi 
had been a girlfriend of his. She got sort of pushed uh, uh, out by Josephine Alvarez, who married Nesline back in, in the early 60s and uh, and became a, a close friend of, of Heidi. Uh, I, I rely uh, in my book a lot on what Josephine uh, Alvarez has told me. She's, now, Heidi's uh, father, Heidi's father was, uh, was he a U-boat commander during the Second World War in Germany? No, Heidi's father um, was uh, an enlisted man. And, and somehow at one point uh, during Watergate, uh, Heidi was seen at uh, Nathan's, uh, a watering hole in Georgetown, with uh, Mo Dean, her good friend, uh, well, Mo Biner at the time, later became Mo Dean. And the gossip columnist, uh, or maybe she was even Modine by that time, a gossip columnist said something in the Washington Post about how the Modine was seen with um, this a beautiful blonde whose father had been a U-boat commander. So basically, uh, three-fourths of it was right, but uh, Heidi's father got a big promotion in the process. So he was an enlisted man in the German Navy. So he wasn't. Right. A, so there's no uh, Nazi connection here, in other words. That, yeah, well, uh, in, in the uh, in World War Two, he was he was right. uh, uh, in, in the German Navy. So so he was uh, uh, wore a Nazi uniform, and the family immigrated to the United States uh, in the in the early fifties. And Heidi was fourteen at the time. Uh, she uh, got out of high school in Reading, Pennsylvania, uh, enlisted in the army. Uh, it was in Washington, D.C. was Miss Fort Meyer for a while, uh, at one time. And, and, and that's where she, she, a photographer who took her picture asked her if she'd like to do some nude photos, and that's how she got started. What was, what was the role then of the DNC in this call girl ring? Were they sending her clients, uh, uh politicians, senators, judges, celebrities? How, what was well, the DNC's? Uh, uh, probably, uh, Yes, the short answer is yes, they were sending clients. And, uh, you, you know, politicians dropping in from out of town were, were probably the most likely candidates to be sent by the DNC, of course. But she was also making contacts in the White House on her own uh, at, at, with the State Department as well. And she's copying all these names and numbers down in her little black book. Well, now, the, the little black book is her address book. She, Heidi, Heidi was not what you would call a madam. I mean, she, she was doing that for the mob at that time. Okay. But she was a party girl. She, uh, she wanted, you know, if, if she'd had her druthers, she would have been the next Marilyn Monroe. You know, the, her problem, she was beautiful. She could do a good Marilyn Monroe imitation. She didn't have that talent. So she ended up working as a courier for the mob, meeting people for the mob, and in this case, running a blackmail operation for the mob. And it's always difficult to piece these things together, especially when the intelligence agencies get involved. But that's what it appears was going on here. All right. You mentioned earlier that uh, she had a friend, I guess, who later turned out to be her roommate, uh, by the name of Mo or Maureen, uh, later to become Maureen Dean, the wife of uh, White uh, Nixon White House aide John Dean. Right. Who also figures very large, of course, in this political scandal. But uh, uh, tell us about her relationship with Maureen Dean and, and why that's significant. Well, it's significant, first of all, because uh, Maureen Dean later married John Dean, uh, the counsel to the president, who some scholars think, as counsel to the president, running his own little intelligence act, uh, activities, actually... Uh, ordered the Watergate break-ins. What we do know for sure is that 
uh, once the burglars were caught, uh, he directed the cover-up for the White House. So uh, the connection between Mo and Heidi is important because there's a connection between Heidi and John Dean. Uh, Mo, Mo Dean uh, was a very good friend of Heidi. They met in, in Texas or New Orleans, one of those places, it's not clear. They were roommates. They, they traveled together. For several years, Mo moved back to Washington with Heidi from Texas. And uh, Heidi, for her part, you know, her, her job was to meet people for the mob, did this with a great deal of enthusiasm. And her book has uh, names of people, in the, uh, of officials in the Nixon administration, of, of, of course John Dean, of course Mo, uh, his wife, uh, girlfriend, later wife Mo, uh, but others too, in, uh, including Jeb Magruder, who's a very important character here in, in, in the whole story. So, in, in other words, John Dean, who, as you say, at the very least, orchestrated the cover-up after the five plumbers were caught breaking into the Watergate Hotel. I mean, uh, his wife is very good friends with a woman who's connected, deeply connected with, with the mob and is running a blackmail operation on their behalf. That in itself would have been a, a huge scandal had that ever uh, you know, broken in, in, in the press. So then if, there, if the, the, the rationale for breaking into the Watergate was not you know, to get the, 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 the Democratic playbook for the next election, it was, is to, it was to get some information that what, uh, would have embarrassed John Dean or the, or... Did well, uh, I, I, let, let's just assume, you know, for the, uh, the sake of argument, or for the sake of exploring this, this so-called call girl theory, what John, if, that John Dean did order the break-in through Jeb Magruder. Uh, Jeb was a guy he could manipulate pretty well. He was the acting chairman of the committee to re-elect, and, and he was the one... With the unfortunate who, acronym uh, CREEP. <laughs> CREEP, yes, yes. yes. And 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 um, he was the one who actually gave the marching orders to the burglars. There were two two different burglaries, one in May and then the one in June when they got caught. Uh, so, uh, just why, supposing that you know, uh, for the, uh, once again for the sake of argument, that, that, that Dean w- was did want the burglars to go in the first time, uh, more more than likely it would have been to collect sexual information himself. Uh, that's a, a, a tried and true way of, of advancing oneself in, in, in Washington uh, politics anyway, always has been. Having, uh, uh, I guess, for, uh, yeah, have, having, getting dirt on other people. So, you know, you can... You can Democrats and Republicans. Yes. And, and, and intelligence agencies as well. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover was famous for it. The CIA had its own safe houses back there, uh, uh, places where they'd experiment uh, uh, on on unsuspecting people using drugs. That's been well documented. Places where they'd entertain uh, their their friends from abroad or wherever uh, with prostitutes. Uh, The everyone collected information. The the Washington D.C. police force had its own intelligence. Uh, operation uh, had their own interest in, in sexual uh, information on, on politicians of, of, and, and, and officials of, of both parties, of, of all parties, yes. So was Dean also interested in protecting uh, his, his wife, or was, it, was, was he afraid that somehow uh, his wife, Maureen, 
would be caught up in this snare as well because of her relationship with Heidi Riken. Uh It is... Um it, it's, it's a matter of speculation. Uh, uh, Dean, of course, uh, uh, would, would deny having anything at all to do with this. He denies that, uh, that Heidi's uh, connection is important. Uh, he he uh, dismisses the whole theory as you would expect him to. Um, but why? There are two different burglaries. They might have had different motives. Maybe the first time... Uh, let's say he, he wanted to collect the information. The second time, uh, it might be different. It might have been defensive. Uh, and, and here's where it really gets complicated. It's, it's, it's a good thing to be on a conspiracy show to talk about this because these guys definitely do conspire. And, uh, it, in this case, it, it, it's, it's, it, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to reduce the story to sort of manageable terms here, but, uh, one of the uh, a, a uh, lawyer who was sort of a hanger-on at, at the Heidi operation in the Columbia Plaza, he used to report to her on, on what the vice squad was doing because he was paying them off anyway, um, got busted. And uh, when the, the FBI busted uh, for, uh, for small-time prostitution operations, he, he, he too wanted to be another Bobby Baker, wanted to... Uh, build a career on doing sexual, uh, uh, providing sexual favors for politicians. And that, that was his, uh, his, his silly dream. Um, but so he was, this came to the attention of the FBI. They raided his office. They got his address books and his, his, his office books from his secretary. And in those books, they discovered not just Bailey's friends, but these women at the uh, Columbia Plaza who were connected to Heidi. Uh, and it created a huge panic uh, in, in, uh, in certain circles in Washington. Uh, what were they going to do with this? And so uh, what they did was, uh, <laughs> uh, this goes to your question, of was he trying to protect, uh, was John Dean interested in protecting his wife? His wife's name was, according to Bailey, and according to his secretary, uh, his sister, and according to the prosecutor, who uh, said so in a taped interview with uh, Len Kolodny, who wrote another book on this subject back in 1990. The Silent Coup. Uh, yes. Uh, it, it, that uh, Mo Biner's name was in it. They called her, uh, you know, they, they knew her by the initials. Um, Again, this uh, is Mo Dean, John Dean's uh, wife. Yeah, Mo, Mo Biner, that, that was the, uh, that's the woman, uh, that was uh, John Dean's girlfriend and, and, and Heidi Riken's roommate. So, yes, uh, he could very well have been worried about that connection. Well, the, the interesting oh. thing is, and you, 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 as you point, point out, you know, we, we tend to look back and, and, and according to uh, the official Woodward and Bernstein version, if you will, John Dean was supposed to be one of the good guys. Yes, he admitted <laughs> that he had participated in the cover-up, uh, but that's, he only learned about it afterwards, and he was trying to protect his boss, the President of the United States. Uh, and then he, you know, he was sort of a key witness uh, for the prosecution, if you will, in, in, the, in the hearings, we look at John Dean as the good guy, but this does not paint a very favorable picture of uh, John Dean. Well, you know, it, it, it is remarkable that uh, normally sensible uh, news organizations would view someone like this as an authority on the subject. He was a player, and his, his role uh, was always very much in doubt, uh, to say the least, but 
I mean, here you've got a guy, and, and, and he's, he's sort of the darling of a lot of liberal media because in addition to having uh, testified for the right side uh, in, in, in the Watergate, uh, he has since written a book called uh, Conservatives Without Conscience, attacking the, the George W. Bush administration. And so uh, he, they're, they're even less likely to question his story about Watergate. But, he, you know, look at this guy. He's a convicted felon, disbarred lawyer. There are those who thought he uh, ordered the break-in. He certainly ran the cover-up. And, and when he saw that the cover-up wasn't going to work... He made a deal with the prosecution. He cut a deal with the prosecution. Ended up serving and, only four months. And to, and to save his neck, you know, uh, he, uh, he started turning in his, his uh, fellow co-conspirators. You mentioned, so, uh, let's go back to the five plumbers for just a second here, because I, right. I want to flash back to the, was it Gonzalez? When, when he was uh, apprehended, he had this little notebook with a key attached to it. That was Martinez. That was Martinez. What was that notebook? Do we know? What was that key? It was a, a key to a desk. I, you know, I'm not sure just what the, was in the notebook. It was taped to the notebook and separated. The key is in the FBI evidence the, the, uh, uh, file. Uh, the, uh, the, the notebook, as far as I know, is, is not particularly revealing. But it's the key that's revealing. It was the key to the desk of Maxie Wells, who, according to this theory that we're, uh, the White House call girl is all about, uh, was the was was where the calls were coming from to Heidi's Kogel ring? So that that's what the key was. The key was to that desk. So you you have to assume that there was something in that desk that they wanted to get. Was it information uh, that would have been damaging to Dean or, or to uh, Mo or, or or was it uh, were they trying to get information on other people as well? We don't know. More of my conversation with Phil Stanford when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Fridays mean a visit from Christian D. Cadur of Paranormal Contractors. Hey, Christian, welcome back. Thanks, Richard. Always a pleasure. Last week, we were talking about false positives and how sometimes environmental conditions can cause a false positive. Someone might think they have a ghost when, in fact, it's mold, which, of course, does very well in, in uh, damp conditions. But we're going to talk about uh, uh, false positives today brought on by something else called VOCs. What are VOCs? Yeah, VOCs actually stand for Volatile Organic compounds and these particular compounds are emitted as gases from certain solids or liquids. Now VOCs include a variety of chemicals. Some uh, have acute and, and short and long-term health and adverse side effects. Now the concentrations of these VOCs consistently are higher in indoors, even up to 10 times higher, hence the reason why there's a lot more paranormal claims paranormal sightings indoors from individuals. Now, you know, some of the sources, of, especially within a home, uh, include paints, wood preservatives, aerosols, detergents, disinfectants, fuels, dry cleaning products, pesticides, building materials, asbestos. I mean, there's so many things. The list can go on and on. And when you have an environment where you have all this, these items, whether they're properly stored or improperly stored, this fact is, is that volatile organic compounds still emit 
are constantly being emitted in higher concentrations from these products. So when people say, oh my goodness, I can't breathe properly, or my, it's, my nose is itching, my eyes are watering, I have a tickle in my throat, I have a headache, I'm vomiting. Some people will even say something, oh, the spirits or the souls aren't allowing me to talk or to breathe. And I'm not saying that's not the case, but I'm saying is that 90% of the time uh, when we go into an environment, we end up, you know, we, we try to rule out all the false positives before we perform our remediation. And this is uh, something which is uh, always overlooked. Uh, you know, a great example is when you see these YouTube videos of all these ind- of people going into in a dilapidated building, it's uh, about to be demolished or it's been abandoned, a derelict building. And then all of a sudden they, they feel that something that's tingling on the part of their body or the hair on the back of their neck raises up. I'm not saying that's not the case, but more likely what's happening here is, is that these individuals are breathing in some toxic air and toxic fumes, which is in that environment, which is causing them to see something or to uh, experience something which is not really there. And this is something which is uh, hugely and widely overlooked. It may not be a ghost, folks. It might just be a volatile organic compound. Christian, thank you again. Talk next week. My pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Christian Dikadu from Paranormal Contractors. If you have a ghost or demon problem, contact them at 631-552-5835. Email paranormalcontractors at gmail.com. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Richard has tiny talking insects living in his sock drawer. We have bags and we are living in Richard's sock drawer. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. And we're talking to Phil Stanford, author of White House Call Girl, The Real Watergate Story. And, uh, you know, we're all familiar with the All the President's Men version. Uh, Great film, Robert uh, Redford, Dustin Hoffman. uh, And... Uh, it's kind of a sanitized version that what the Watergate break-in was all about was, you know, the, the, those in the White House, the Republicans, uh, trying to spy on their political rivals, the Democrats, whose headquarters was at the, the Watergate Hotel as Nixon was preparing for uh, re-election. And what it may all come down to, as it often does in the corridors of power, was sex, a prostitution ring or a call girl ring. And some notes, perhaps, scribbled down in a, in a black book or addresses and names belonging to a call girl by the name of Heidi Riken. So what are we then to make of the role of, of Richard Nixon? Uh, in, in Kolodny's book, The Silent Coup, he, he's basically saying that it was all John Dean, really, and Nixon was the scapegoat. He was sort of just caught up in this. What do you make of that? Well, now, it's pretty clear that Nixon didn't have anything to do with the break-in itself. No one is seriously argued that's the case. No one has has offered any evidence that that, that's what it was. It wouldn't be too unusual. The higher-ups in this or any other other administration would know they had people working for them who would take care of things like this. Uh, John Mitchell, uh, the attorney general, for example, knew very well that uh, there was was an intelligence operation being run out of the committee to re-elect. Uh, he met with uh, the head of head of the, of the team, Gordon Liddy. Gordon Liddy made proposals to him. 
Uh, he accepted some of the, the uh, uh, proposals and, and, and uh, poo-pooed others. Uh, at a certain point, uh, he sort of let John Dean take over. And, and John Dean said, we shouldn't be discussing these in, things in front of the Attorney General. It's an a, uh, age-old arrangement that uh, uh, leads to deniability. Uh, if something goes wrong, then the uh, higher-up can say he didn't know anything about it. Uh, and, and that's what I think was happening here. Uh, Nixon himself, I, I'm not a Nixon partisan. I mean, this is, uh, I, when it was happening, I was working for a Democratic congressman. Uh, I was in Washington then. I, I've n- <laughs> uh, never, uh, many people who, who uh, or some people who subscribe to this, any alternative theory on Watergate, are, are uh, sometimes uh, sometimes uh, people come from the right here because they think that Nixon was maligned. There, there, Nixon was a corrupt uh, politician. I, uh, uh, he was uh, the, the only one to resign. He, he would have uh, been driven from office if he hadn't resigned. And and I think there are probably you know any any number of good reasons why he uh, should have been driven from office, but. Uh, this is not one of them. He didn't have anything to do with ordering the break-in. Uh, of course, when the burglars were discovered, he and everyone else in the White House, uh, with G- Dean's direction, were scrambling to cover it up and, and see if they could survive politically. But uh, and 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 he, uh, th- that is and, and uncovering the the cover-up is, is what uh, Woodward and Bernstein did for the Wash, uh, as well as other journalists did. Um, and but uh, I guess the other question, though, the other question, Phil, would be what then what are we to make of of Woodward and Bernstein, who have been sort of placed on this pedestal as, you know, these amazing investigative reporters uh, for The Washington Post. And uh, and yet, I mean, they're not happy with any any time, you know, someone comes out with a book like yours. Uh, talking about this other version that it, that it was about this call girl ring, right? Uh, you know, you're labeled as conspiracy theorists, and and what are they? What is? What are Woodward and Bernstein so afraid of? I mean, why? Why is this version so scary to people? Well, uh, the Watergate myth that's come down to us, you know, is is, is largely uh, the story that was developed by the Washington Post and by the special prosecutor, uh, and and it. You have to realize this was all a very political operation. There were people who wanted to get rid of Nixon, not just the left. And, and the left certainly hated Nixon. The, the Kennedy Democrats hated Nixon. But the right, too. Uh, the most conservative elements uh, in, in uh, the Washington bureaucracies uh, considered Nixon and Kissinger dangerous liberals, if you can believe that. But that's true. Well, Nixon, uh, people forget it was Nixon who brought in the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, it was uh, Nixon who uh, oh, uh, made the first uh, uh, gestures towards opening trade with China. It was Nixon who started talking with the Soviet Union for detente, and it was Nixon who was conduct with Kissinger, who was conducting secret talks with the North Vietnamese uh, to uh, uh, to get a treaty in Vietnam, and and he cut out the CIA. He cut out. Uh, well, most importantly, the CIA, and, and, and was running things out of this White House, and even had this little intelligence operation they were running there. The CIA was very worried about this, 
and they infiltrated the White House CIA, uh, the, the CIA in, in, infiltrated the White House intelligence operation. All five of those burglars, McCord, Hunt, and, 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 and the Miami crew, so that, that makes uh, uh, six, uh, well, no, five, uh, had CIA ties. Martinez, the one who was found with the key, was still on the CIA payroll. The other uh, guys from Miami had been Bay of Pigs uh, commandos. McCord, the sound guy, uh, uh, was faking, uh, had, had uh, recently retired from the CIA, was still main contact, and, and, and evidence is was still working for the CIA. Howard Hunt, this was his third faked retirement from the CIA. Now, uh, how did you get access to this little black book? I mean, I, I understand it sort of was buried for about, um, well, close to 20 years. Uh, basically, I got lucky. Uh, when I uh, decided to get back into this subject about two years ago, I started making calls around in Heidi's old neighborhood uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania, rather the neighborhood of her, her, her mother's house. Her mother had had uh, died some time ago. Heidi, of course, was uh, had died in 1990. Uh, but I, I I tried the neighbors to see if anyone knew them. Uh, I talked to a, a woman, an old lady who lived next door, who directed me to someone else, uh, who was friends, uh, as it turned out, of Heidi's younger sister. And uh, that person said that, uh, they'd at least leave a message for me, and, and a couple months later I heard back, and that's that's how it happened. Her sister, uh, Kathy, had been keeping uh, Heidi's, uh, some of Heidi's possessions uh, in a safe deposit box, and, and uh, this little black book, actually two of them, one big one and one little one, uh, were in a safe deposit box all that time. And you convinced her that uh, to go public with this information? Uh, went down to Texas and, and, and talked with uh, uh, Kathy and her husband, and, and uh, they, uh, you know, we, were, we uh, came to an agreement, and, and uh, here we are. Yes. Well, when you and then as you're flipping through this book for the first time, what's what's jumping out at you immediately that you you see as you know uh, sensational or or at least you know uh, uh, damning. The, well, the book was very useful to me in, in reconstructing the life of this woman who, who had be, before had just sort of hovered over the, the, the water, this Watergate uh, debate. It, it's sort of a phantom, you know. Uh, the, the people on the conventional side would, would even dismiss her because, you know, she didn't seem to be quite real. No one had much information on her. So by going back and looking at the names in the book and finding these people, I was able to reconstruct her life. And, 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 and so uh, what, one thing that became clear right away is her, her very serious mob connection. She was carrying money from bookie to bookie. And around the country, she was carrying money from the mob to, to Switzerland. Uh, lots of mobsters in there. Uh, lots of professional athletes. Uh, that's because she was one of the, her jobs for the the mob was uh, meeting them and, and, and getting close to them uh, up close and personal as they used to say on the uh, sports shows and 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 then there were the, the politicians first of all uh, she was out in Texas during the LBJ years she was in Dallas meeting all the of, of LBJ's cronies and then 
uh, moved back to Washington uh, when uh, shortly before Nixon was uh, elected and uh, set up shop there again and uh, especially uh, through her new friends the deans uh, she started collecting names of politicians uh, or, or, or officials uh, in, the, in the Nixon administration so that's that was that's the overall importance of this book, uh, a, a little black book that uh, I was able to get. Uh, it, it it also sheds light on on uh, the role of uh, certain officials uh, like Jeb Magruder, uh, who who ordered the break in, uh, who gave the marching orders for the break in. So it it was a, a quite a breakthrough. So uh, let me ask you again, going back to Woodward and Bernstein. Um, why didn't they? Why don't they give any currency to this story? Are they? Tr- is there something they're trying to hide? No, I, I don't think they, they started out trying to hide anything at all. Uh, it's just that it, it doesn't fit with their story, and they, they've made their reputations, especially Bob Woodward, uh, has made a, a, a fortune on his, his reputation as as the. Uh, peerless Watergate reporter, and, and so it would, really wouldn't do any good uh, to uh, start changing things here. Uh, in fact, much of, of, of what they have doesn't really contradict uh, the, 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 the break-in story. It just doesn't have anything to do with it. They, 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 they uncovered the cover-up in the White House. They never did anything more than just adopt the, uh, the accepted uh, version of what the, why the break-in occurred and, and let it go from there. So that means they had, had to uh, sort of accept John Dean as, as uh, something less than the, the weasel that he was. And, uh, they, uh, and, and they certainly didn't want to go back and, and it, it, would, it would have really upset everything. And, and, and what, what you discover is you start looking more closely at their reporting particularly Woodward, Woodward is the, obviously the lead guy in all this, um, is that, you know, they, they the, the, the process they, they went through to, to, to bring down Nixon and all the president's men was, was maybe not so sugar-coated as, as the one we have uh, been presented with. Uh, in, in all the president's men, of course, there's this character named, uh, they call Deep Throat. Well, uh, and, and recently, uh, an old FBI uh, uh, official, uh, Fell, came forward and, and everyone said, that's him. Uh, I'm not so sure that that's the case. In fact, uh, the uh, publicist for uh, the literary agent for uh, Woodward and Bernstein's first book, All the President's Men, said that Deep Throat didn't even exist in the first draft and that it was only added... Uh, after, of course, it was uh, also speculated that it was um, Alexander Haig. Well, Haig, Haig is uh, one one good candidate. Uh, another F, uh, FBI official, Sullivan, is another candidate. In fact, um, it was probably several different people, uh, but it, it was added to to uh, uh, this one. They brought together sort of a, 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 as a dramatic device. Well, the, uh, to the, juice up the story for Hollywood. The, the pairing um, of Woodward and Bernstein is interesting because uh, Woodward, as you point out in your book, has kind of an interesting background in the intelligence community. 
was working at the uh, was it naval intelligence or the Pentagon? Well, he was with uh, a high level communications officer who handled uh, super top secret stuff for the Navy. Yeah, and and, and he he had 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 these connections that that you wouldn't expect a, a young man to have because of that job. Yes, that's very interesting. And then contrast that with Carl Bernstein, who, of course, I, be, I guess it was in the, in the late 70s, um, uh, wrote an interesting article that appeared, I think, in Rolling Stone magazine, in which he he said, or he talked about the infiltration uh, into the mainstream media by the Central Intelligence Agency. And so I just find that an interesting, maybe I'm making too much of it, but here we have Woodward coming from you know, an intelligence background, and then we have Bernstein, who's basically calling out, calling out the intelligence agencies and, and drawing our attention to the fact that they're, you know, they have infiltrated the mainstream media and they're shaping the messages that are getting out. Right, and and, and as as one of the uh, CIA officials had bragged, uh, they could play the the press like a uh, a mighty Wurlitzer. The um, yeah, some people think that that was Woodward's. I mean, Carl uh, Bernstein's shot across the bow. Uh, I don't know whether it was or not. Maybe he was just given a good story, but he had uh, he he, sh- he should have known what his uh, writing partner was up to. And, and uh, in fact, there there are uh, CIA memos that uh, were, were published back in in 1974 75. Uh, there people were actually trying to understand Watergate back then. And 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 and, and uh, Congressman Nedsey was holding hearings, uh, uh, trying to uh, understand the CIA's role in Watergate. Uh, nothing definitive was found, but there there were thousands of pages of testimony published, including CIA uh, CIA memos in which uh, CIA agents were, were bragging to each other about how they'd manipulated Woodward's coverage of the events in a way that would uh, dr- uh, by feeding him information that would draw them away from. The CIA's connection, and, and I'm saying the CIA's connection was, uh, among other things, anyway, through uh, this the the call girl operation that Heidi was running for the mob, which was running uh, running it for the for the the agency. Did you learn anything in Heidi's black book about Richard Nixon's association with certain mobsters? No, there, there would be nothing there. She didn't associate with Nixon. She, I. I uh, Doubt that she ever met him. But there is evidence, uh, and I think you allude to it in the book, that that uh, uh, you know some big mobsters back east, again Frank Costello, may have contributed to Nixon's uh, campaign for uh, the first time he ran for president against uh, Kennedy in 1960, and and I guess prior to that in 1950 when he was running for the U.S. Senate. Before that, when he was running for Congress, uh, Mickey Cohen in Los Angeles got some mobsters together. And 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 raised some money, uh, lots of money for Nixon. And and over the years, uh, he, uh, he accepted money from mobsters. His best friend, B.B. Rebozo, was connected to Santos Traficante. B.B. Rebozo uh, was uh, this. This is all very interesting. Uh, was from Miami, connected to mobsters. B.B. Rebozo was. Nixon's best buddy, he had his own bedroom in the White House. He could go through uh, the, uh, the White House doors uh, without having to sign in. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I, 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 
Heidi, Heidi wouldn't have known about Nixon's connections to those, but she had her own mob connections. She was being used by the mob. The mob used her to uh, uh, lobby John Dean on uh, the Hoffa's release, for example. I understand uh, Dean is not too happy about this book. Uh, he is, I mean, you can sort of understand why he might not be, but uh, he, uh, he sent us, uh, sent the publisher, Farrell House, sent the distributor uh, a threatening five-page letter before the book was even released. So, you know, he just doesn't like the subject. You know, we're talking about 40 years on. A quick uh, answer, if I could get you uh, from you, Phil. Why does it matter at this point? Well, the same reason history matters anyway, I think. You know, the same reason the history of the Kennedy assassination matters. Uh, here's, here's the removal of a, of a president uh, and the uh, biggest political scandal since that time, and we don't know what it was all about. White House call girl, thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. Phil Stanford. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words about an upcoming episode. My Strange Planet shop is filled to the rafters and bursting with great gear. Check out the Toxic Mail and the Protect Our Power Grid t-shirts. My personal favorite right now, though, is my line of t-shirts celebrating carbon dioxide, the miracle molecule that makes life possible on our planet. But there's more than just t-shirts. There's mugs, phone cases, great hoodies and sweatshirts, tote bags, stickers, and more. The proceeds from the Strange Planet shop goes to support the work I do here. They help make this podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited, and my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, all possible. So, get on up to my Strange Planet shop today. Just go to strangeplanet.ca. Remember, Christmas is coming. It's a strange planet. Get the gear. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited... Pastor Sean Moon, the son of the late Reverend Sun Myung Moon, takes us inside his Rod of Iron ministry. And of course we have the Rods of Iron, the AR-15s representing the Apex weapon that represents man's sovereign ability to defend himself against tyranny. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. New Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.